we want to we want to be mindful of that and continually pray for them. So we're kicking off the sermon series in the book of First Corinthians, and um, if you know anything about the letter to the Corinthians, it's pretty much the theme of this letter is pretty much that of uh, of correction. I mean, this church is has many many issues. Um, it's coming out of a uh, un un uh, biblical background. They were they were uh, living in a in a city that was kind of like uh, New York City or Las Vegas at the time, and um, they had a lot of issues. Uh, one of the issues was division. There was division within this church, and uh, Paul addresses many of these issues. And there, the other issue is uh, misunderstanding of spiritual gifts. I don't know if you knew this, but and Corinthians will share this also in, in other letters of the Bible as well, that when you have come to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he gives you a gift. He gives you a spiritual gift. And you, he gives you that gift so that you can use it within the body of Christ, meaning the church. And so there was some misunderstandings of spiritual gifts. There's misunderstanding about sexuality and sex in this Bible. And I hope I don't have to preach about that. I hope that would land on Pastor Jim and not myself, because I, I, I feel very awkward preaching about that. But somebody's got to do it, right? Let it be Jim. All right. And then... Um, and another thing is pride. Pride is the root of sin. Pride is the root of rebellion. We all know that. Pride is what Paul discussed here. And also, uh, Paul's authority as an apostle. They questioned Paul's authority as an apostle. So these are just a few things that this church is dealing with. And Paul addresses many of these issues in the letter of 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians. And we will be unpacking that. Um, throughout the rest of this year. So it's going to be a really interesting time. I encourage you to not miss not one of these sermons, uh, these messages, because uh, it's going to be really interesting. And a lot of these issues are not new issues, right? They reoccurring issues in the church. I mean, it happened throughout ages. It will continue to happen. It even happened when Israel was... Uh, was uh, coming, out of the prom- coming out of Egypt into the Promised Land, and that's when they lived in um, Israel at the time. So it's just human tendencies. We have a tendency of always uh, gravitating back to being rebellious. And so we always have to be reminded and corrected and sometimes even disciplined by the Lord. And that, that's a rough one when you're disciplined by the Lord. But um, it always is for our benefits, always for us to bring us back to what is true and what is right and what is real. And so we here in the Church of North America, in America, we, we struggle with all these issues as well. Um, so a little bit about the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth was a, a capital of the Roman province of Achaia. And forgive me if I mispronounce some of these uh, Greek words and names because I'm really awful at that. But it was in the, it's in the, uh, it's a, capital of a Roman province of Achaia, and is situated in the Isthmus. And Isthmus is a, a land that's in between two seas, dividing two continents. And this is where Corinth was. It was 40 miles west of Athens at the time. And if you can see there in my picture that I put up on the screen, you can see how it is. It's a narrow strip of land. Um, they had huge, two huge ports on either side. So it was a very affluent community. There was a lot of money going on. Um, so much so that sometimes people would um, try to go from one sea to the other that they would put their boats on logs and roll it over, take their cargo off, roll it over the isthmus and get on the other sea to embark instead of going all the way around um, the horn to get to the other side of the land. So that's, that's, how, that's where Corinth is, is at the time. Um, in the city of Corinth, there was this uh, large rock um, called Arrow Corinth, and on this large rock, which was about a, 1,800 feet up in the air, above the, in the air, above the plains, lied a temple to the goddess of Aphrodite. Anybody familiar with this goddess? The goddess of Aphrodite is a pagan god, which is also known as the goddess of love. So this was the, the uh, spot where people would go to worship the goddess of Aphrodite. And as a result, there were about a thousand prostitutes who would practice their worship to this goddess amongst the city people. So there was a, um, a huge, uh, how do you say, uh, sexual culture there. Kind of like how it is in America nowadays, right? But anyway, um, 
Paul addresses this issue also in this letter as well. So, and then there was a large population of Jews and Greeks in this city. And as Paul went to this city to share the message of Jesus Christ, he always started in the synagogues and then he went out into the marketplace, out into the community in order to share the message. So Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul, spent about 18 18 years, 18 months in Corinth on his second missionary journey. And you can read about this in Acts chapter 18. So many Jews and Gentiles came to know the Lord and became part of this church. And there was a new, this was a new community of new believers and is what we know as the church in Corinth or the Corinthian church. Um, in this city is where he met two individuals named Aquilus and Priscilla. And you can read about them in Acts chapter 18. They also were uh, servants of the Lord Jesus. Uh, they were also ministering in Corinth because they got kicked out of Rome um, because of persecution. And they were also tent makers, and Paul was a tent maker, and they all worked together making tents, selling tents, raising money in order to support their ministry and the mission that the Lord Jesus had gave them. In Corinth, there was a huge population of or should I say a huge worship center of many Greeks and many Roman gods. And the one I just finished mentioned was the most notable god, which is Aphrodite, and they also worship Poseidon as well. And at night, the temple prostitutes will come out into the city, city and offer their services to all those that were in the city. There were many sailors who spent their time here, And as you can imagine, it was really, really um, crazy, very crazy. There was so much sexual immorality and so much drunkenness that in the surrounding cities, when you behaved this way, when you behaved as a, a immorally, sexually, or a drunkard, they would say, are you a Corinthian? That's what they will label you right away. That's the, uh, the um, uh, um, how do you say, uh, understanding that that's how they were portrayed out in the community. And in this, in this church, there was a problem with unity. There was a problem with division. And Paul addresses unity. And that's something that we're going to be talking about today as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. We here in, our, in North America, in America, our churches have become divided. But we have a problem with unity as well, especially after what has transpired in the past two years has divided us. We have become divided politically. We have become divided culturally. We have become divided socially. We've had a lot of issues going on in our churches. And I'm talking about in general, not specifically city church, but in general in the churches of North America. And we need to understand the importance for a church to be united. And in order for understand that, we need to understand and realize that we, as the body of Christ, the church, Christians, have a higher calling. A calling that is higher than any of these things. A calling that trumps all of these things, and no pun intended in that word, but a calling that is greater than anything we can imagine. That we have the, a real mission and a real purpose here on earth, and all these earthly things that we probably have a tendency of of being part of become second, second, according to our, as we look at our higher calling that we have as Christians. So we need to put away all of our petty nonsense, politically, socially, culturally, intellectually, We need to put away all of those things. Those things have no place in the body of Christ. And we need to realize and focus on our higher calling, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, which is going to allow us as Christians to be united. Because unity is extremely important. We need to understand that we as Christians are here to reflect the character of Jesus Christ individually, but most importantly, And this is something that we don't value here in North America. We value individualism, but we need to understand that we are here to corporately, as a body of Christ, as members of the church, 
have to reflect the character of Jesus Christ in unity. Unity, my friends, is extremely important. We need to be united behind biblical truths and biblical values because many people say, well, we have to be united, but then they will bring other non-biblical sinful things and try to make that part of the church and say that we need to be united behind this. No, let me make a disclaimer. We need to be united to what's, uh, what's biblically and what is true for the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> we need to be united behind the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let me grab some water. You mind? Sometimes this word becomes really spiritualized, and we, we spiritualize it to make, make it seem something more mystical than what it really is. The gospel of Jesus Christ is simply means the good news of Jesus Christ. And what is the good news of Jesus Christ? It's the fact that Jesus is God and that he came to earth and that he was born as a baby and that he lived and walked on earth as a man and that he sacrificed that perfect and sinless life on the cross on our behalf and that he rose again the third day to give us life and victory over death. <coughs> and lastly, and most importantly, that Jesus Christ will return a second time. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what we need to be united behind as a church. That is our purpose. That is our mission. That is our proclamation. And we need to allow all this petty nonsense, all these little things that creep up inside of the body of Christ and cause this division. We need to realize it for what it is, put it aside, and stay focused on what Jesus has called us to do and move forward with our mission and our purpose here on earth. And this is why, because when we are united as a body of Christ, focused on what Jesus has called us to do, which is to share the gospel, which is to reach and, and, and seek and save the lost, which is what James says, true religion takes care of those that are in need, the widows and the orphans. We need to be sharing the message of Jesus Christ. And when we're united in this purpose and in the understanding, we're going to be an unstoppable force. And this is the beauty part of it. We get to impact, like significant impact. I'm not talking about little impact. I'm talking about big impact. We get to impact our community. And that's what unity does. Unity allows us to impact our community. And God will bring us individuals to be part of a healthy and vibrant church. See, God's not going to bring people who don't know him to come to know him to a dysfunctional family. He's not going to do that. He's going to bring people to come to know him and love him and serve him to a family that is functioning properly, functioning properly. A family that is united and moving forward for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul addresses this issue because this church at Corinth was really struggling with division. And so the first thing he wants to talk about is how it is important for us to be united. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 17. And um, let's read that together in your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, pull it out. If you have a Bible app, you can look at it on your Bible app. And if you want to look on the screen, feel free to look on the screen. I want to say hi to all those that are looking online. Thank you for worshiping with us, and thank you for being here with us this morning. Let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 here. It says the following. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the days of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Cleo's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you say, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cyphus, Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Cyprus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did, not ba I did, I did baptize also the household of Stephenus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to be, to be baptized, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, let the cross of Christ be empty of its power. Let's pray together. Father, I, I pray this morning that you would help me, Lord, share your word in truth and in spirit, Lord. And that your word will touch the hearts and minds of your people. And that as a result, they will be transformed and that they would be, draw closer to you and that they will leave here serving you and living for you. I pray for Pastor Jim and his wife and their kids. I pray you watch over them and help them in this time of need, Lord. We love our pastor. We love his family. And we pray that you just be with them and strengthen them and use them, Lord, in these difficult times. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So throughout this message, if there's one thing I would like for you to take away, if there's one thing I would like for you to write down, is this. Unity impacts our community. And what I mean about that is that it's extremely important for us to understand that when we are united as a body of Christ, and when you are united as city church, we have a significant impact in the community that people will see that this is a healthy, vibrant church that loves on the community, and most importantly, that loves each other and helps each other and serves each other, that they will realize that we are inter interdependent on each other. Not that we're independent, not that we are dependent with our two extremes, that we are interdependent, that we do life, we do community, we need each other. It is important for us, it's hard for us to understand in our American mentality because we are individualism, because of individualism. And I'm not saying that's bad, but it's hard for us to understand that this thing that we call church, the body of Christ, Christians, we are supposed to be interdependent on each other. And that God has equipped each and every one of us with a gift in order to serve within the body of Christ and to bless each other. And so if you are living this Christian life independently, you are, um, you are denying everybody in this church the blessings and the gifts that God has given you. And not only that, you are not receiving the blessings and the gift that God has given the other individuals in the body of Christ to bless you. So it is important for us to understand that if we want to impact our community, meaning those around us and those in this church, we need to be united. And that is what Paul is addressing here in this chapter of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. Unity impacts our community. Unity is important. And in order for us to understand what it means to be united, we need to understand what we have been called out of and what we have been called to. And that's what Paul addresses in the first um, couple of verses in this book, in this letter. 
Verses 1 and 3, I titled Calling. I should have titled it Your Calling. But the calling, you have been called out to something, you have been called into something, and you need to understand what that is in order for you to have the right perspective, in order for you to realize and value what it means to be part of the body of Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus. Paul starts his letter in verse 1 with a greeting. And he says there, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and our brother Synthenus. And sometimes we overlook these greetings, but these greetings are in the Bible for a reason, to teach us something. These greetings are important. I believe that everything that is written in this book is there for a reason. It's there for a reason to teach us something so that we can get draw closer to God. And Paul says here in his greetings that he was called by the will of God. Now, I want to focus on this word call. What does he mean by called by the will of God? And if you look this up in your Greek dictionary, or if you look this up in the Greek, which is what this text was written in the Greek, is the word kletos. And this word kletos in the Greek means he was invited. He was invited by God to do his will. Paul was invited into this relationship with God. In other words, he was divinely selected and appointed by God to serve him in the body of Christ. That is what Paul is saying. But this is the thing, right? We can say, well, yeah, that's the apostle Paul. He's the missionary. He's the leader of the church. He's the one that wrote all the New Testaments. That's for him. But the flip side of that is in verse 2, we, as uh, the saints of Jesus, we are also called to be part of this body of Christ. So not only was Paul called, we, as Christians, were called also. And in verse 2, he says, called to be saints, together with all those who are in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their lords and ours. And I don't know if you knew this, but here at City Church, we call on the Lord Jesus, don't we? So therefore, if we're calling on the Lord Jesus and everybody across the globe today and every day, all those that are calling upon the Lord Jesus as their Lord, as their Savior, are also called by God, divinely appointed, invited by God to be part of this church. So we, all of us here as Christians, have been called by God. This is our calling. So what was Paul called to be. Well, in verse 1, he says there, he was called to be an apostle. And the word apostle means, in Greek, is apostolos, which means to be a delegate, to be a messenger, the one that set forth with direct orders from their superior officer, and in this case, is Jesus Christ, to do something. And so what Paul is saying, that he and we know this when we read Acts chapter 9 when Paul was persecuting the church. I don't know if you know church history, but Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was out there persecuting Christians. And <clears throat> Jesus, on the road to Damascus, revealed himself to Paul, and he called Paul to go and share the Gospels with the Gentile nation. So if you are here today and you're not Jewish, guess what you are? You're a Gentile. And it's the reason why you have been called and been part of the body of Christ is because of this man, the Apostle Paul, who went out into the Gentile world, all those that are not Jewish, and went and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was called to be an apostle. And because of his ministry, we are gathered here today. Sound like a wedding ceremony, right? We are gathered here today and worshiping Jesus as part of the body of Christ. So you should be saying, great, Paul was called as an apostle. I wasn't called as an apostle, I saw I'm off the hook. Negative. Paul was called as an apostle, we are called to be saints. Oh, let me go back one. To be saints, as you see there in chapter two, right? Saints. 
called to be saints. Now, this, what does this word saint mean? Well, saints is the Greek word for hagios, which means someone who has been separated. In other words, in a more biblical tense, or more biblical tense, is one has been, been consecrated. One who has been consecrated and separated for some, by someone special. Or, in our understanding, God. Now, if you read the Old Testament and you read the Old Testament saints, one of the things that the Old Testament saints needed to do is they needed to be consecrated, especially those who were serving in the temple, especially those who went on the Day of Atonement before the, the Ark of God and the Holy of Holies. They, especially them, they needed to be consecrated, meaning they needed to be separated themselves from anything that has to do with what's impure and unclean. But what we understand when we read the Bible that after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and he tore the veil in the presence of the Holy and the Holies in the temple, that means that we, as part of Jesus Christ, as part of the body of, of, the, of Jesus, as part of the, the church of Jesus Christ, now we have access to God directly. So therefore, that makes each and every one of us a priest. Did you not know this? That you are priests? That you don't have to go to somebody in order for them to intervene and go to God on your behalf. That you have access, direct access, through Jesus Christ, our high priest, to go straight to God's throne. Amen? And that's what it means to be a saint. This word here, saint, it's an adjective word. It, it, it describes who we are. But Paul goes on to say, use the same word in a more verbal way in, in, this, in this verse, in verse chapter 2. He says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. So this is what he's saying. You are called to be a saint. Positionally, you are consecrated to God because of Jesus Christ. Positionally, this is where you are. But progressively here on earth, as you're living your life on this journey, serving the Lord and allowing him through the power of Holy Spirit, build his character within you, you are moving towards becoming more like Jesus progressively. That is the, the verb form because that word sanctified is the same Greek word Paul used earlier. This is wonderful news. We're called, we're consecrated, and we, are, we are, are progressively moving to become more like Jesus. This is who we are. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be part of the church. This is what it means to be in the body of Christ. And that's what Paul continues to say when he calls us the church. He says, you are the, the church, in verse 2 right there, to the church, that word church there means ecclesia, the Greek word ecclesia, which means the call-out ones. You are the call-out ones. You are the ones that have been consecrated. You are the ones that have been separated to serve God and to be more like Jesus and to move forward to becoming more like Jesus. So what's my point in all this? My point in all this is that we are Christians who have been called by God to be different from the world and to, uh, to go through a developing process of becoming more like Jesus, we are called to a greater calling. And as a result, we have to be united as the body of Christ because together we form the character of Jesus and we can impact our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this calling unto the body of Christ, which is the church of Jesus Christ, is greater than any other thing you can imagine here on earth. It's greater than family, it's greater than your ethnicity, it's greater than your social, your cultural, your political views, even your sports team, it's greater than that. Because this is the deal. Before you came to know Jesus as your Savior, you were in a rebellious state, and as a result, you were dead. You didn't have life. You were on your way to doom and destruction. That's what, it, that's what happens with those that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's the path they are taking. But because of the Lord Jesus intervening into your lives... He called you, he separated you, and he transformed you, and he gave you a new life, and now you can experience true life, and you can experience true light, 
and you can experience true love. And as a result, he puts you into the body of Christ, which represents it here on earth, and you're part of the kingdom of God, and you're part of a child of God, and you can put all that petty nonsense to the side because we have a higher calling. One of the things that bothers me a lot lately is that we have a tendency in our culture here to call every human being a child of God. And that's not true. Every human being is a creation of God. It's been created by God. But only those that know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, have been adopted into his family and placed in his kingdom, are children of God. And that is biblical truth. And that is who you are. That is where God has called you. That is what he put in you. And Paul gives us a little bit more understanding of this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And, and the reason why I bring this up is because I want, I want you to understand where you were and what you are part of now. And as a result of who you were before and what you are part of now should give you a different perspective of what is important in life and should allow us to come together as a body of Christ and as a unit to impact our community. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, Paul says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Muerto is the Greek word there, meaning dead. Verse 2, In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, by the way, the spirit that is in, in now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is where we were. Each and every one of us here were born into this situation. Then in verse 4, Paul says, But God, being rich in forgiveness and love and mercy, because of his great love with which, do, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in, with Christ. By grace you have been saved, which I'm going to touch a little bit on that later, and raised and. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immense, uh, immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. See, God has taken us out of death, darkness, destruction, and transformed us and transmitted us into the kingdom of light, love, and, and, and life. And as a result of that, we are to be united as the body of Christ, serving each other, using our gifts to serve each other, to bless each other, to help each other, using our gifts to serve and bless our community. That way we will be a vibrant and healthy church and be able to impact our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm really excited about this. Paul also, I'm sorry, Peter also gives us an also description of who we were and now, who we are now in, in Jesus Christ. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says this about us. You are a chosen race. Isn't that awesome? Chosen, called, separated, invited by God. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, consecrated. By God, a holy nation separated by God, a people of his own possession, you belong to God, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous lights. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about being united behind that. I'm excited about proclaiming that excellency and his marvelous lights. I'm excited that he brought us together in order for us to do that. So therefore, there should be no division among us because we all have been re redeemed. We all deserve death. We all are rebellious. 
We all are saved because Jesus and his divine love and grace had called us to him. Nobody here went to Jesus on your own. You were called by him. Whether you made that decision to accept that calling or not, that's between you and him. But he called you to him. And he saved you out of darkness. He saved you out of death. He saved you out of destruction to be part of the body of Christ. So no one here can boast that we're better than anybody else. And as a result, we can focus on blessing our community. Because unity impacts our community. And so how this was all accomplished, I said earlier, I'm going to touch a little bit on on this word grace. Verses 4 and 9 tells us here that this is all accomplished because of God's grace. Verses 4 and 9, if we can, I'm sorry, let me go back here. God's grace, my second point. Verses 4 and 9 explains this a little bit says the following, verses 4 through 6. 4 through 6. It says, I, gave, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that is given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. I'm going to stop there for now. The way that this was all accomplished, the way that you have been called into the body of Christ, the way that you have been chosen because this has nothing to do with you, is nothing you earned, is nothing you deserve, is by grace. This word grace is the Greek word karius, and that word means God's God's divine love, God's divine gift, God's divine favor, God's divine goodwill, God's divine loving kindness is because of Jesus and how much he loved us in spite of ourselves. And he called us to him. None of us deserves it. None of us earned it. It's just Jesus and him alone. And God the Father accepts us and loves us and is pleased with us because he accepts and loves and is pleased with Jesus. And he looks at us through the lens of Jesus Christ and who Jesus is. And that grace is, is poured upon you and has brought you into the body of Christ. And this is the beauty part of that grace. That grace has enriched our speech is what Paul says in verse 4, has enriched our understanding of God and has enriched our testimony of God. And as a result, it will increase our faith in God. God's love, favor, and good pleasure and goodness and kindness is transmitted through us through Jesus Christ. And as a result, we are wealthy. That's what Paul says there, enriched. We are wealthy. Not financially wealthy, which that's okay, as long as we understand that financial wealth is a tool for us to use to glorify Jesus Christ. But we are wealthy in speech, was what Paul tells us the first thing we are wealthy in. What does he mean by that? Meaning that our words have power. And this word speech here is the Greek word logos, is what John uses when he describes, uh, describes Jesus in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, logos. That means that in the beginning, God's powerful authority, author, authoritative word is God. That God spoke things into existence, that his word reverberates throughout all creation and causes action and does things. And Paul is saying to us, that same word, that same speech, that same logos was given to you and you are wealthy as a result of it. So what does that mean? That means that as a result, as part of the body of Christ, who have been called and separated to be part of the body of Christ, who have been taken out of darkness into light, as a result of that, so full of grace that God has placed upon you, so much mercy has given you, now your words, what you say to each other, you need to speak life to each other. You need to speak encouraging words to each other. 
James says in James chapter 1 that the tongue is, the, is, is our enemy. We need to guard what we say. We need to be careful what we say. And we need to be able to speak truth in love and encouragement to each other. Because this is what was given to us by the Lord Jesus. Not only that, but Paul says that you have authority, you have to speak encouraging word and truth of spirit, but you have been enriched in knowledge as well in verse 2. Not only have you been enriched in speech, but you have been enriched in knowledge. What is the word knowledge there? That word is wisdom. God has given you wisdom. Not wisdom of the earth, not wisdom, demonic wisdom. And James talks about that in James chapter 3, but wisdom that's from above. Let me read that for you in James chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, and do not boast and be, and be, and do not boast and be, false and truth, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom. For where is jealous and selfish ambition exists, there would be disordered and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. This is the wisdom that we possess. And we need to bless each other with encouraging words to keep unity. And we need to bless each other with godly wisdom. We need to be pure. We need to live in peace. We need to extend peace. We need to be gentle. We need to be reasonable, merciful. Demonstrate the good fruits that Jesus gave you through the Holy Spirit, which is in Galatians chapter 5, verses 20. 22 to 23, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Be impartial. Don't show favoritism. Don't create cliques of your good friends and leave everybody out. That is not godly wisdom. And be sincere. This is the character of Jesus Christ. And this is what allows us to have a good testimony, as, as Paul says in, in verses 7 through 9 there, have a good testimony before everyone else. Verse 7 through 9 says the following, so that you are not lacking in any gifts. Remember, we've all been given gifts. As you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. In addition... We are to keep, this helps us keep our testimony. This helps us to keep faithful until the end, until Jesus is revealed. And this allows us to use our gifts to bless others and to serve others is what Paul is telling us here. See, the church of Corinth used to use their gifts to show, to show off, to show that they were more spiritual than the other person. And they would flaunt it in their face. And this would cause division. And this would cause anger. And this would cause quarrel in the church. Paul is saying, no. Don't misuse your gifts. Don't misunderstand why our gifts are given to you. They're given you to serve each other for the glory of Jesus until he comes. And guess what? When he comes, I hope you are blameless when he comes because we all have to give an account to God for how we behave in the body of Christ. God will keep us accountable. That is true. So that we are in good standing, Paul says in verse 8. Good standing, good testimony in our community, good testimony in our church so that God can bring more people so that they can be part of this functioning family that we call the church. And then Paul finishes in verse 9, says, trust him, he will fulfill all these things. Put your trust in him, these things are going to happen. So, city church. We got to understand our calling. We got to understand grace, what we were taken out of, and the love of God, in order for us to grasp this importance of unity. Because unity impacts our community. And lastly, Paul says, be committed. Be committed. 
Be committed to Jesus and the church, not to a pastor, not to a preacher, not to a, a religious organization, but be committed to Jesus. Verse 13, 10 through 13, he, he, he talks about this, that there should be no division among you, no fighting. Don't be committed to individual, individual preachers. Now, a lot of these individuals here in this church says, well, I, I, I follow Paul, or I follow Peter, Cyphus, or I follow Apollos, which was another eloquent speaker in that body of Christ. And you know what? Here at City Church, we have a privilege of having a lot of good preachers. We have both men and women preaching here at this church, and they do a really good job. And we are blessed also to that our lead pastor, Pastor Jim, is a phenomenal preacher. But we're not here to follow these individuals. If you're here to follow one of these individuals, you have the wrong perspective. It's going to cause disunity in the body of Christ. We're here to follow Jesus. We're not here to follow religion. We're not here to follow religion of man. We're here to follow Jesus. And Paul is saying, don't, don't, don't get caught up in who you're committed to and who you follow. And don't, don't start these cliques and don't start these fraction groups. Reminds me of a, a joke that used to be said around the churches a lot. If you've heard this joke, please forgive me. I'm, I'm really terrible at telling jokes. But it's about this guy who was in a deserted island. <laughs> you already said, yeah, I know this one. He's a deserted island, right? And they come, a rescue team, and they rescue him. And here's this guy in this deserted island. And there's three huts on this island. And the rescue team says, so, so tell me about these huts. What are these huts? He said, well, you see that hut in the middle? He said, yeah, that's my house. That's where I live. Awesome. He said, how about the one on the, on the right? What's that hut? That hut, that's my church. Oh, cool. And how about the one on the left? Well, that's the church I used to go to. You know, so this is why we don't even get along with ourselves. Division is awful in the body of Christ. Paul goes on to say, you weren't baptized into me. You weren't baptized into Paul. You weren't baptized into Apollos. You were baptized into Jesus. You were identified with Jesus. You were identified with the body of Christ. Get our our perspective straight. We're part of something greater. We're part of something good. We need to be united. We need to be united in worship. We have worship here on Sunday morning. And some of you are watching us online. That's wonderful. We need to be united in that area. But we also need to be united in serving. We have different avenues here at City Church where you can serve. One of the things we do here at City Church is called Red, where we distribute food to those that are in need in our community. We used to do this on Montgomery Street, but we moved it here into our building. And Pastor got a, was talking to a couple of people in the community who found out about it, and they're excited that we were able to do this here right out of this church building. We need to be doing this united as a body of Christ, serving effectively. But we also need to be united in reading God's word and praying for each other and what the Apostle Paul calls fellowship. We need to be united in fellowship. Now, don't misunderstand me. Coming together and worshiping on a Sunday morning is really good and important, but it's more important for you to gather also throughout the week. It's more important for you to gather in smaller groups, more intimate, more, more, more close, where you could speak life into each other where you can learn the word of God, where you can pray for each other as we're, as we're struggling through this, through this living here on earth, where you can hear somebody's need and say, man, I'm going to be praying for you, and then share that need with other people so that we as the body of Christ can be praying for you. That is where unity and community exists. So here at City Church, we have something called community groups. Um, They are taking a break now in the summer, but we are going to be starting that up soon. Probably looking to launch that on August 28th, possibly. We're, We're still working with that date. But the important thing for you to understand is that it's important for you to be part of a community group. Now, we're not going to make you by no means. We're just encouraging you to understand the value in being part of a community group. 
the value of being part of a group that can speak life to you, a value where you can see God's grace and mercy living in other people's life, where you can share and pray for each other, where you can use your gifts to bless other people, where unity and community is formed and we can impact those that are around us. When people come to this church and our community and be part of City Church and say, what is it that you guys do other than worship on Sunday morning? Well, we serve the community. Well, we do block parties. We do something during Halloween. We do something during Christmas. All these big events we do in the community to serve our community. And we also have these life groups, these small groups, or we call them community groups here, that meet once a week. Here's a list of them. Go choose one. Go, because this is where you find blessings in your life. This is where you grow to be more like Jesus. So I encourage you. Develop. Let us, as a church, understand the importance of being united. Let us as a church understand the importance to doing life together. Because this Christian thing is not something you want to do by yourself. It's not designed that way. God did not design for us to be independent. God designed us to be interdependent. Not to be dependent, which is not healthy either, right? But to be interdependent in a holistic way where we're serving each other and ministering each other and blessing each other practically and spiritually as well. That's where we will have unity and that's where we will see the greatest impact in our community. Prayer teams are going to be in the back to pray for you. I'm closing out my message right now. Unity impacts community. Would you consider being part of a community group when we roll it out? We'll be sharing the days and the times and the locations where they're serving. Would you consider being part of that community group? It's an invaluable and important part of your Christian walk. Also, would you consider hosting a community group in your home? If that's something that you feel the Lord is calling you to do, that you want to see people gathered in your home around the Word of God and sharing life with each other, please see Jim McLean. He'll be glad to help you with that. Jim, raise your hand so people see who you are. Because that's where unity is fostered, and that's where community is, is, uh, happens. And that's where we will have our greater impact. Prayer teams will be in the back. Let's pray together. I'm going to close this out. And I want to remind you, go change your world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for allowing me to share your word this morning. I pray that as a result of this, uh, many would understand the importance and the significance of us being united as the body of Christ. And as a result, we can impact our, our local community in the church and our community around the church and that people will grow and know and love Jesus. And as a result, Lord, we would be able to glorify Jesus. We ask this in his precious name. Amen.